This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Shalom, welcome back to the Asia Torah Essentials Program here in the Holy City of Jerusalem. Across from the Western Wall. And more importantly, across from the, the Temple Mount. This is our third installment of the Purim series, and what I wanted to share with y'all is a story that I was coming down the uh, the Cardo stairs today on my bike, and I saw these really holy hippies, and it reminded me of a story that happened, I guess, about 25 years ago. What happened was I was going up the Cardo stairs, and I saw a I saw these hippies on the staircase. And I had my guitar up, so I was, like, strumming for them. But I noticed these people were, like, really out there. And they later told me that they were on LSD. And so then I started telling them a story. But what I was doing was I was putting the word eggs in every sentence. Meaning, I was just hiding it in there. Like, I'd say, like, let me give you an example. And... And but I used, every sentence had another, uh, um, you know, some kind of uh, especially, especially interesting expression. And anyway, but they were just listening to the story. They weren't really noticing. But after a while, like one of I saw one lean over the other one. There were about five or six of them. And leans over the other one and says, "Is he saying the word eggs in each <laughs> sentence?" And he goes, "No." And he says, "Listen." And I said that sentence, and then after a while, they're whispering to each other, and I'm just continuing with my story, and kind of strumming the guitar, and until they're all, like, every time I'm saying the word eggs, they start screaming, like, he is saying eggs, he is saying eggs. Anyway, all of a sudden, bang, out of nowhere, from, like, multiple floors up on Chabad Street, someone threw an egg. And it bangs on my guitar, which made a super loud noise because it hits this, you know, this acoustic box. And eggs just like <laughs> splatters everywhere. No. And these people, when they saw an egg splattered on my guitar, that came out of like infinity. They all screamed and ran in separate directions. And I hope they found each other afterwards. They screamed and ran in four in separate directions. Okay, uh, we're talking about the mitzvahs of the day. We started with Megillah Esther. Then we spoke about yesterday. We spoke about tzedakah, tzedakah, and matonos, matonot. And uh, today we're going to talk about Mishloch Monos. And then uh, the party. Party. Okay. Party, party. And, and then we'll talk about the party. So we've handled a lot of Megillah tests here. We're all, every day I'm doing a little more. And... Uh, and then we did tzedakah in detail yesterday that you have to give to whoever puts out their hand. 
without asking any questions or, or trying to figure out whether they're worthy of your tzedakah. You just give, 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 give. And just like they put out their hands, you give. You put out your hands in prayer and God gives without opening up your file. Normally when you open your hands up in prayer, God's checking out your, you know, your, your he's opening up your file saying, hmm, does he deserve this? She deserve this? And let's check out her file. Let's check out his file. But on Purim, God doesn't look at your file. So just whoever sticks out their hands in prayer is answered. So don't forget to pray on Purim. And then we spoke about Matanas Devyonin was to look at a poor man in the eyes and recognize that you are he and he is you and and we are one. And there's no... Um, the whole breakdown in levels of wealth are are no longer relevant. And so we're specifically moving large quantities of money to people who are impoverished. But to specifically look them in the eye. If you can't find someone, then give it to someone who knows people. Uh, I know plenty of people, but I prefer you do it yourself. Give the money yourself. And you want to do that on the day of Purim, not, not on Thursday, not on Wednesday night. Purim in Jerusalem only comes in Thursday night, and the gift to the poor is in the morning. So any time, meaning any time during the day, but that's when that mitzvah takes place. So the Megillah Esther is read night and morning. Sadak is given the entire twenty-four hours. Matanah Yonim is in the morning, and Mishloch Manos also in the morning. That's to be done in the morning. So now we're Mishloch Manot, and that's uh, that's to give two food items. There should be two different brachas of food, two two different blessings made on those foods to uh, one person. Now, who should that person be? Should it be a dear friend? Or should it be an enemy? How do you know? Makes sense? So, what you want to do is, it says, Matanas Yonim ish l're'ehu. L're'ehu is considered your your beloved one. Your beloved one. Like, uh, like uh, it's one of the blessings of Sheva Bachot. The Shalom V'Reut. Reut means, you know, being beloved to each other. And the... We all have issues with certain people in our lives. All of us have issues with people. And there's certain people we just don't like. And we got to give that person a gift. And that gift says that in my Purim story, you've represented Haman. And, and let's let it, I'm letting that go. I'm getting out of that whole story. I'm, I'm breaking out of this story. You've been Haman for me. And I'm releasing you from that story. I'm releasing my, my hold on you. Let me show you in a fast version, um, just to explain this in detail. Uh, what happened to all those pens we had? Right here there. It seems darker today for some reason. Uh, that makes it even darker. The backlight makes it darker. Doesn't it seem dark in here? Okay, no big deal. So, 
On the left, we have the word acceptance. And on the right, we have the word approval. And the reason I put it in a Venn diagram is we blur acceptance with approval, meaning that that um, anyone who's be different holds by different standards, even higher standards or lower standards. But anyone whose standards are different than yours, you don't accept them. You have a blurred with acceptance. See how that works? Anyone with different standards than you, you don't accept. Now that's a pretty nasty thing to be doing because, I mean, how many people in the world? have your standards exactly how many people how many people have your standards exactly in every aspect of your tastes and likes and dislikes and style and halachic observance and you know Jewish lifestyle like how many people have exactly yours and so the answer is very few very few and plus you get people who are like very strict type Haredi types we have like super high strict standards when it comes to Jewish law. And when it gets blurred with acceptance, you wind up not really accepting anybody. But acceptance is the most important attribute in the world. Think who do you love? 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 Answer? Right, you don't answer. Who do you love? No, no, I'm saying, who are the people you love? It's on the board. Your mom. I'm happy you love your mom. I don't get too many girls raising their hand and saying their mom. Much more say their dad. So the, so the answer is, whoever accepts you are the people that, are, that you actually do love. People accept you. But how many people have you gotten a chance to interview about whether they accept you or not? You don't interview people about that. You just sit there in your mind and just kind of calculate. You know, I wonder if you wonder what rapid laser thinks. You know, you 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 just sit there and calculate it with everyone you meet and every place you go, always calculating. What would this guy think of me? And so you're you're in full time calculation of whether people accept you or not. And now I'm going to go a bit deeper. Are they accepting you externally? Or are they accepting you internally? Meaning, if someone, if someone showed love for you over something you did versus who you are, which one would you feel better? If they showed love for you for something you did for them or for who you are? Which one would you... Who you are. Because anyone could have done that. Anyone could have done that, but you did it. And I'd like to feel the love because of who I am. So it's who we are rather than what we do that we really want the acceptance we want deep acceptance we want acceptance at our core but what's the issue what's at most people's core what's at the core of a kid whose parents keep forgetting them what's at the core what's in the core of his apple if his parents keep leaving him in the park back by accident or forgetting to pick him up at school or, or forgetting he was coming home early or forgetting his doctor's appointment Talking about pot smoking parents. <laughs> Just kidding. But the example I use is forgetting. So. Can you imagine having two parents who smoke weed all the time? <laughs> that would be really hard. <laughs> oh, I forgot. <laughs> you forgot me or your child. 
But that's what's going to happen. We're going to have a whole generation of people raised by pothead parents. A whole generation. I think what they're going to do is have, have the smartphones have different levels of reminder, including electric shock. And we have so many bells and whistles happening that you tend to ignore them. You know, how many missed calls did I miss or missed messages that I just kind of ignored the buzz? So they're going to come out. Eventually, it's going to be, for your children, it's an electric shock. You know? um, I mean, I'm sure they could have the phone actually release some kind of a sharp blade. You know, just, or ne- just a needle to give you a little prick. You know? It's your child. Oh, I gotta pay attention to this one. Anyway, but what would be at the core of a kid who keeps getting forgotten? Come on. What? Low self-esteem. What would be at the core? What would be the word? Rotten. Rotten. Unloved. Empty. That'd be an emotion. Empty. It would create maybe anger. Worthless. Anger would be secondary to the pain. Worthless. Empty. Empty. Invisible, don't exist, don't matter, unimportant. You just keep going, and that's only one example. That's forgetfulness. We got worse ones. <laughs> I know, I know, kids of parents who say, "If only they forgot me, that would have been good." The problem is, they kept remembering me with their with their hands. Pow, you know, like they. Uh, I was. I wish they forgot me. They were remembering me was the painful part. So, kid, but kids go through a lot, and that's only parents. I mean, can we follow around our kids all day in school? I'm sure they'll figure out some kind of gadget where the kid puts on a vest. The kid puts on a vest and it's got little surveillance cameras all around it going to the parent's iPhone. And the parents get to actually watch where the kid's getting beaten to a pulp at the playground. You know? And of course, the the kid's got an earpiece. You know? And, you know, answering questions in school because you don't want your kid not to be able to answer the question because they could become embarrassed. And so, you know, can you imagine mothers with like a switchboard with screens for each kid? Yeah. <laughs> a special room in the house. It's just the computers. Right, where she she's typing in answers for the questions. Which kid is it? Anyway. So, based on all the things that we go through in life, it creates core feelings about ourselves. Okay, now let's go back up here. What do we want? We want people to accept us. But do we want them to accept us externally or internally? Internally. Tell me, how do you ever accept someone? How do you, sorry, how do you ever feel acceptable when your core says unacceptable? How do you ever feel accepted when your core says unlovable? How do you ever feel accepted when your core says not worth it, invisible, don't matter, unimportant, stupid, ugly? How do you ever get acceptance? So what happens instead is you become an Ethiopian. Instead, you become an Ethiopian. An Ethiopian with a distended belly, swollen skulls, flies all around, and thin little toothpick arms. Desperate for acceptance. And people do some stupid stuff to get that acceptance. One of the famous ones is boyfriend. Boyfriend, that's a total Ethiopian move. Boyfriend. I mean, there's another term for boyfriend, by the way. You know what the term is? 
Ladies, do not walk out of the room if I say the term, okay? Because you're going to want to kill me. And this is not to offend anyone. It's just that here in Jerusalem, we call a spade a spade. Okay? Don't be upset. No one be upset. What we call a girlfriend in, in, uh, in the Jewish community? Rental. See, I, I bought I've been taking care of my wife now for 23 years. I bought. She did not give me herself until I put an insurance policy on her finger that I'd be caring for her, taking care of her, whatever she needs, all her needs, every one of them. I will take care of that woman. But when you're an Ethiopian, and this goes for boys too, I just said boyfriend because girls are... Are, are a little different than guys when it comes to boyfriend-girlfriend relationships. But, but when you're an Ethiopian, you'll, you'll do, we get desperate. We do stupid stuff. That was only one example. Like, meaning boyfriend-girlfriend, like pretending you're loved. But we all know, like, you know, when push comes to shove and things start getting rough, it's over. Whereas in marriage, when things start getting rough, you grow. And that's one of the secrets of commitment that we spoke about last week. Is you can only grow through commitment in life. But you'll notice all of you have put little tiny invisible exit signs on everything you do. So you can always get out. In fact, there are probably some of you are in this room right now because you walked down to some other exit. And she's cracking up. <laughs> I don't know what she's escaping to be in here right now. But we're all hitting the exit. What? I'm still here. Oh, you've been here this whole time? Well, and, the, uh, and the smartphones are like the best thing that ever happened to us because the exit's always there. It's always there. You know what? I'm, I'm, I'm kind of excited for Purim and Shabbos coming together because I need like two days off, off my smartphone. That'll be good. Um, it's, I mean, I could use, you could, you're allowed to use a smartphone in Purim, it's just hard to focus on it. So, now, the, the, um, so when we're walking around starving because of our inner core garbage gunk from stuff that happened in our Purim story, because this is all about our Purim story, our upbringing was just our Purim story, meaning all this stuff that happened, it's just your Purim story. We're going to be reading a perm story tomorrow. Sorry, Thursday night. <laughs> it's going to be worse than your story. It's a bad story. And we went into this the other day, but no part of that story is good. Nothing. I mean, the fact that Jews didn't have a genocide, meaning the genocide, they did have a genocide, but it didn't succeed. I mean, that's good news. But how about no genocide to begin with? You know, like, like that would have been better. And how about not being through a Jewess who had to marry a monster, a Jewish girl who had to marry Trump, you know? So, <laughs> nothing about it is good news, and nothing about our upbringing, meaning the stuff that made us feel worthless, was good news. That stuff wasn't good news. But it's our story. And then we spend the rest of our lives trying to get some sense of acceptance, but it never works. It's never enough. Is it ever enough? Are you ever at a point where, wow, you know what? I'm love. Let's move on to the next subject. Never. Never. It's like, it's like there's a hole at the bottom of our heart. And 
every time it gets even anywhere near half full, it empties. Why do you think rock stars die on the night of their biggest show? Three in the morning. Sleeping pills, little pain pills, no big deal, but the body can't do that for a decade. And somewhere between 30 and 40, it's over. There's a hole in the bottom of our hearts. They just empty out because why? Because underneath it all is the core. And the core's rotten. For many people, it, it's very rotten. And so what do we do? We wear costumes. We wear a costume. Aren't I handsome? Aren't I smart? Aren't I eloquent? Aren't I creative? Aren't I pretty? Aren't I strong? And we walk around our Purim story wearing a costume that no one should know who's underneath. But meanwhile, even the rotten core part, guess what? There's a core inside the core. There's actually a core inside the core. Guess who's in there? You know who's in there? Say it again. The soul. The The two-year-old, incredibly energized, Mm -hmm. unbelievably connected, self-expressed, loving, crying, laughing, Purim party soul. Because that's where we're all going to be on Purim. We don't know if we're going to be... You'll be crying, you'll be laughing, you'll be hugging, you'll be loving, you'll be... You're back to the core of the core. That's what Purim is. Purim is the core of the core. Underneath your Purim story is a beautiful, beautiful soul that laughs. We're going to laugh. We're going to laugh and party after reading a horrific story where nothing really good's going on in there. And we're going to laugh and party over our own story. And we're going to love, we're going to hug, we're going to have uh, group hugs. We're going to dog pile. We're going to, you know, I'm, I'm removing the glass out of my, you know, cabinets where, you know. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah. Oh, how many years in a row until you learn? Just take off the doors, you know. It's just like the door, those doors, of, the glass doors of my cabinets for my china and stuff. Like they've never survived. Poor. And not because anyone was getting violent; they were actually hugging. But more people joined in, and then they fell, and there was glass everywhere. Perfect timing, Bubby. I know, I got this. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I'll be ready for the next one in a few minutes. Because <laughs> underneath it all is someone so incredible, someone so beautiful. And that's what we're doing here. That's why we're in Jerusalem. This is like... We're all heeding the call. We're all being like siphoned out, vacuumed out of exile right now to be here. We're all being pulled back to Beit HaMikdash, pulled back to our ancestral lands. We're all being drawn back in, drawn back in by the Creator. I promise you that anyone who stood at the Temple Mount Exhibit A. Anyone who stood out there in front of the temple with the incense smell wafting in the air and the 
Levites playing these incredible songs with thousands of them. It was so loud you could hear it in Jericho. Meaning, I mean, have you guys ever been to a concert that was really loud and you lost yourself in the in the in the frequencies and the vibration of it all? That's what was going on here. It was so loud you could hear it in Jericho. Can you imagine being out there? Thousands of musicians. In the choir, there were thousands of singers. All the while, with this intensely intoxicating incense flowing through the air. I could burn for you guys stuff that I mean, would intoxicate you even here. Not weed. <laughs> Permit, uh, things that are permiss permitted. Permissible. Permissible. Although Israel just changed their laws. It's funny, they changed the law. They finally stamped the law uh, about two weeks ago on uh, marijuana. It's legal? Israel. They took away all the criminal the offense criminal. aspects of it. Poor Yeshiva. Right before porn. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Did you answer your thief? What's that? Did you answer your thief through uh, marijuana? Um, someone who can't drink, I could, but the, uh, they have to worry about the laws of the land and stuff. So Israel's released that whole thing, but but uh, but the uh, it's uh, it's got other issues though because um, uh, for some people it brings great clarity, and the point of the day is to get totally kind of out of your brain. For some people it brings great depression. You're supposed to be happy. So Purim brings depression. No, 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 no. Some people it could bring down. Really? Yeah, yeah. Some people get depressed on. They say it treats it, depression. It makes it a very. It could, some people. Some people has the opposite of happiness. A lot of anxiety. Yeah. 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 Whatever. Uh, uh, whatever's going on with them, they get in, that. That gets enhanced. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Someone who's depressed and smokes weed gets very depressed. Yeah. Okay. By the way, since we're on the subject, since we're on the subject, have you ever seen? A substance with a longer list of things it cures. Like, what's the deal with this stuff? It seems to cure everything. So I found out what it is. I finally figured out why it cures everything. It's because, it's because you're so darn stoned that you don't remember what you have. <laughs> Check out someone really stoned who's suffering something. They're not suffering, they're not suffering anything. Isn't, uh, isn't it a different kind of clarity when you get outside of your brain? Um, yes, it's a clarity of oneness. It's uh -huh. a lack of distinction. Think about it. The name Haman, Haman. Where's the first place Haman shows up in the Torah? By the tree of, you know, the tree of knowledge of good and evil that Adam and Eve were not supposed to eat. How do we know that? You should be asking, what do you mean, Rabbi? Megillah Esther's way after Genesis. How could it be that Haman shows up the first time in Genesis by the tree? You know this one? Do you know about this? That Haman's in Genesis? Well, all we're looking for is three letters together. Hey, Mem, Nun, which can mean anything. And it turns out that in that story, after they ate from the fruit, God says to Adam and Eve, he says, listen carefully, Hamin Ha'etz, Hamin Ha'etz, did you eat from that tree? Hamin Ha'etz, did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? So that's where Haman shows up the first time. And what is that supposed to mean? Why? What's the connection that Haman shows up with a tree of knowledge of good and evil? Is the answer is it's the tree of knowledge of distinction. In this case, it's distinction between good and evil. But it's, it's 
the tree of knowledge of distinctions. And notice for the first time they realized they were naked. They didn't know they were naked. Can you imagine being naked and not knowing? <laughs> you'd, have to, you'd have to be really out there. You know, and I've, I've seen people on Purim who didn't realize they were naked. But they... Especially in Tel Aviv. So, the... They, what do you mean they didn't realize they were naked? They didn't realize they had not yet, before they ate from the tree, they had not yet eaten from the tree of distinction. Everything was one. And once they ate from the tree of distinctions, things got distinguished. Well, what's Haman's whole thing? Haman's whole thing, is, which is Amalek's whole thing, is that there's no one overarching unifier to everything we're going through in our story. Should I say that again? There's no... Amalek's whole thing, Haman's whole thing, Haman represents there's no one overarching unifer, unifier of our whole story. Hmm? Meaning everything's just happenstance. In fact, in our Torah, where it says Amalek attacked us in the desert, it says Asher Karcha Baderach. Now that doesn't have any real translation, Karcha. But you know what it's translated as from the word Mikre. Mikre means he happened upon you. Happenstance. Coincidence. Oh, coincidentally. Amalek just happened to show up. Hey, what are you guys doing out here? And they're like, making more. You know. They but it says happenstance upon us. Happened upon you. What's up with that? They didn't happen upon us. They were coming to ambush us. So why does the Torah use that? Because their whole job is to let us think that this physical world, this outer crust of creation, is all there is. And that, and that there's no... I mean, they do... They, it's not that they don't believe in God, but they want, they're all about, like... I mean, God, like, spun us like a top, spun the earth like a top and took off. He's not involved. He's not part of it. And the Jews are all, like, the opposite of that. We're like, you know, this is all from God. This story is all God. As we spoke yesterday's class on Megillah, it was all about the controls, that God's at the controls. You know, so when you bump into somebody, God's just like, you know, it turns up the level of that person to start heading in your direction. You know, it just kind of goes like this. So you had them speed up a bit because you were going too fast. So he could either slow you down with us, you know, make you trip or something, but he doesn't want you to trip. So he just sped them up a bit. And then he has a knob, turn them to the left. So they go a little left, and then, hey, what are you doing here? I'm hanging out. What are you doing here? Let's hang out together. And then you start hanging out. So that's Judaism. And that's the opposite of Amalek, the opposite of Haman. Asher kar chabaderach, who made you cold. I mean, this stuff happens. God's running this stuff. I once had, I was once running a seminar here in the old city, possibly you, and there was one day that I canceled. So I let all the guys know who canceled. It was a one-hour day for six weeks. So it was one day I had to cancel. I canceled. Except what? The guy, this one British guy was not in the room. He was in the bathroom. And the next, he came back from the bathroom, but I forgot. I was back. I was running the seminar, so I wasn't really paying attention. Later the next day, I'm thinking, oh, this guy. Like, I forgot to tell him. And he's going to be broken when he comes because we're all totally committed. No one ever misses a session. And he doesn't live in the old city, and he's going to be schlepping in and everything. And this British guy, and he's also he's kind of he was kind of extra sensitive. So I was worrying about him. 
My mind was worrying about him. So God says, hmm, how am I going to pull this off? How do I pull this off? This, by the way, this is way before cell phones. There was not a cell phone on earth at the time. So, so and I'm thinking, like, how am I going to pull this off? So what happens is, that afternoon I'm listening to my, um, I'm listening to my uh, messages on my phone. It's a message on my phone. And I think if you hit star, it calls back the per- person who called you. So I hit star to call back somebody, a random person. So meaning when a student of mine, but I called him back. And then when the phone answers, I hear, you know what that means? It means yeah. it's a pay phone. It's a pay phone. And guess whose voice is on the other line? Yeah. He was walking down the street, saw, saw a payphone ringing. Picks up the payphone. He had such a funniest voice because whenever I would teach him, he would be, when you teach this guy, he would just sit there with, his face would contort trying to get what I'm saying. And then all of a sudden it would go, and he would go, ah! and the whole class would laugh. This was going on for weeks with this guy. Oh, I wish I knew his name. <laughs> you know, we're talking about 20 years ago you know, like, how am I supposed to remember this guy's name how would I know his name <laughs> can't remember his name anyway give me a good name Adam Spalding <laughs> he looked like his name would have been Spalding and he like works for a golf cart company and <laughs> Anyway, so, so he answers the phone, and I said, it's Spalding. And he's like, yes. <laughs> I'm like, it's Rabbi Glazer. And I just wanted you to know that there will not be class today. So just want to save you the trip into the old city. And he says, Rabbi Glazer. How did you know I would be walking by here right now at this? And how do you know this big phone, phone number? And I said, I mean, I decided to use the moment. So I'm like, Spalding, there's a lot of things you don't know. <laughs> I shouldn't have done that, but I, I like messing with him a bit. So I, just, I have a history of messing with certain types of people. And, uh, and I. Uh, and, I, and you know what he says? He says, oh, thank you. And that was it. Yeah, there's certain people I mess with. There was a guy I was messing with in this class. And he was so afraid of me, this guy. And he really wanted to come for Shabbos. But he never asked. I knew he wanted to come. He specifically never invited him. So anyway, he finally got the courage to ask. And I say to him, listen. Tell me you won't smoke cigarettes on Shabbos, you can come. You're not going to smoke on Shabbos, you can come. And he goes like, because mm, he's such a cigarette addict and he was hardly Shomer Shabbat. He didn't keep Shabbat. And so he finally says, I won't smoke on Shabbat. I said, you give me your word? He says, you got my word. So he came Shabbos night, enjoyed the meal. At the end of the meal, he uh, went home, went to sleep, Next morning he wakes up, and I guess he must have had some crazy Yitzhahara, because he says, he says, well, I already had the meal, now I can have the smoke. But he's not just going to have a cigarette. He takes his 
big giant hookah pipe with the coal and the, you know, like the, he's going for a full hookah experience here. This is like, you know, I don't imagine it's worse than regular smoking on Shabbos, but there's just something about it that's more brazen than just getting a little nicotine in your system. He takes it up to the roof of the tallest building in the old city called the Moshav. It's a dormitory of <laughs> Lights the coal, puts it on, faces out towards the Kotal in this giant building out in the old city. Meanwhile, God had other plans. One of these hardcore gold-coated Yerushalmis in the Strymel. Oh, what, is that? what does that mean, actually? Not right now. In a Strymel, <laughs> who's just hardcore guy knows about this building that is the best view in the old city of the Temple Mount. And he's just, he's on his way to the Kotel, but he'd like to get, say some prayers. Because when you're at the Kotel, you can't see the Temple Mount floor. So he wants to see the whole Temple Mount floor. From there you can see it. So, he heads, he heads over the, up the stairs and up the stairs and up the stairs. And he sees this guy. He sees this guy. And the guy, the, the Yerushalmi guy, loses it. He loses it and grabs a chair and he just screams, Shabbos! <laughs> and goes to the pipe, this big pipe, and he just goes, <laughs> And meanwhile, this kind of off-balanced kid is just screaming like, thinking he's next. <laughs> the next day I came into Aish and this guy is walking up the street from here with a suitcase. And when I walked by, I was going to say like, where are you going? But when I got next to him, he jumps across the wall like this. As if I somehow sent him. Like, I didn't send him. What happened to my kid? He took off. And now today he is. Uh, I think he's 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 he became a woman, and yeah, he he's now a woman, and he's married to uh, some some other guy who decided to do the same. I'm just making that part up. I knew it. I knew we were making that up. <laughs> I don't know where he is, but it's Eric for him, so I'm making stuff up. Um, got it. Now back to <laughs> back to our story. <laughs> that, that in our core, in our core, is we have to have that core acceptance. Notice when you were a toddler, a child, did you care what anyone thought? Did you hold back any expression? when you were two, two and a half, three, no. Because you were at your core. And that's where we're going on porn, we're going back to the core. We're gonna take off the mask. But it's double mask now. It's the mask is what we're trying to cover it up with. But even the Ethiopian starving guy inside of us, that's also a mask, because that's not who we are either. Because my parents are forgetful. Or because I got embarrassed in school one day has nothing to do with who I am. So that itself's a mask. It's just a really ugly mask. And so I put on a really beautiful mask, but they're both masks. And underneath it all is love. 
Underneath it all is connection. Underneath it all is beauty. So I'm going to finish with the following. Uh, Haman had the whole world bowing down to him when he made the genocide, and everyone had to bow down to him. Or when he, sorry, not when he, when he became second in command. He made everyone bow down to him. Who wouldn't bow down to him? Mordechai. Mordechai was a terrible politician. You should have bowed down to him. And look what happened. We got a, we got a, you don't have to serve him. You just bow, you just go like that when he walks by. Mordechai's like that. And when, and so what happened was our genocide came because of Mordechai. Mordechai was not everyone's favorite. He was the opposite. He was, he was really hated both by the Goyim. Sorry, is this essentials? He was hated both by the Gentiles and the Jews. Mordechai was hated by everybody then. Mordechai was a major troublemaker. Yeah, it would be like me trying to go up to the Temple Mount now and cause World War III. Would Jews be happy with me? And like go up there and like with a sh- pickaxe and a shovel. And so Mordechai was no one's favorite guy at all. He was what's called a real leader. Real leader isn't looking over his shoulder. Now, he, now, Haman had everyone bowing down. But what does the Megillah say? The Megillah says that Haman said, I'll wait till you guys sit. Come on and sit. to me as long as Haman doesn't bow down. Aren't we all that way? You could have everyone in the world loving you, everyone in the world honoring you, but if one person doesn't like you, or you sense that they don't accept you, you hate that person. And all of it means nothing to you as long as that guy doesn't like you. We all have a Haman inside like that. And so you know what we wind up doing over that? We wind up trying to please everybody that maybe everyone would like us. We become pleasers. We try to somehow shave off all the appendages of a difference we would have made had we only stood up like Mordechai did. We all just somehow shave off those appendages of the difference, the way God made you. As a person who makes a difference, we shave it all off that everyone should somehow like you. But they don't anyway. And as we spoke about otherwise, is that our hearts anyway have a hole in the bottom. So everyone liking you doesn't do a thing anyway, because you're always in the gauntlet calculating whether or not you're accepted in every situation. Haman is the one who it didn't matter that the whole world bowed down to him if one person didn't. And he makes no difference in the world. Mordechai is the one who made a lot of enemies, but he made a giant difference, and we're all here today because of that difference. So in a nutshell, stop trying to get everyone to like you. Start making a difference. Thank you. Burm Sameach. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.